Welcome to part deux of Excitable Tales. Are you ready? <laughs> Tis the season. I hope you're ready to spend a naughty holiday season together. You won't need your hot beverage or a crackling fire to keep you warm. No, no, no. This holiday season, I'll be keeping you warm with all sorts of lustful, carnal, dare I say, obscene tales from the masters of smut. Grab your favorite ardent spirit. Ardent spirit? Aquavitae, grog, hooch, alcohol, my love. Get cozy and let your mind wander as you listen to me read indecent and downright lewd passages from selected Victorian erotica. Listener's discretion is strongly advised, as I'll be reading sexually explicit material. You have been warned. Welcome, friends, to Beauty Unlock's Drunk and Smutty Christmas. As I promised, we'll continue with the last two chapters I have chosen to read from Excitable Tales. If you'd like to read Radiana or Excitable Tales in its entirety, I'll add the link to the show notes. Let's get into it. And remember, listener's discretion is strongly advised. Chapter 21 where ignorance is bliss, or happiness in an armchair. The general was a great gourmand, fond of sitting over his dinner a long time. The following day, after the conversation related in the last chapter, he invited me to share the repast with him, and after the meal regaled me with long stories of his conflict with the Sepoys and other natives of India. Why, sir, he said to me, pointing to a pair of revolvers on the mantelpiece. Zoe's mother once fell into the hands of three vagabonds, and I shot them all and rescued her with those very weapons. That was how we became acquainted, and I would do as much today, old as I am, to any who dared insult her daughter. I cordially agreed with him that such would be only a just retribution, but I inwardly added that Zoe's cunt would be worth running the risk for. After this, we rejoined the ladies in the drawing room, as I had insisted on their using that apartment. After sitting there and chatting for about half an hour, the general dozed off into a heavy sleep, and Zoe asked her stepmother to come out for a little while. This Mrs. Martinet declined to do, on the ground that it was slightly chilly. So Zoe, who was a willful specimen of womanhood, wished us au revoir and sallied forth. I then poured out a glass of port, forever rather like that wine, and unobserved by her, dropped out of my waistcoat enough Pinero balsam to have stimulated an anchorite. Do have half a glass, I entreat you. It will put life in you. I have remarked that you seemed languid today. Well, I will just take a wee drop, said Eva, and she half emptied the glass as she spoke. Your husband sleeps soundly, Eva. Hush, don't call me that here. 
Yes, he always sleeps so, after dinner, for a good half hour. I was sitting in the armchair during this colloquy. Eva was standing by the window, and I could just reach her skirt by leaning forward. I did so, and with both hands gently, but with ardois force, pulled her backwards until she sat upon my lap. For God's sake, she whispered in agony of dread, let me go. If he were to wake, he would kill us both. But he won't awake. You told me yourself he would be sure to sleep for half an hour, and there is simple time for what we want to do in that space. Come into my bedroom for five minutes, my darling. Mr. Clinton, I dare not think of the exposure. I can think of nothing but this, my sweet Eva, and suiting the action to the word, I clapped my hand upon her lovely rosebud of a snatchbox before she had the slightest idea that I was anywhere near it. She proved a game girl. She didn't cry out, for that would have meant death and damnation, but she appealed to my good sense. Not now, she said imploringly. Be counseled by me. Not now, some other time. My darling, I said, stand up for one moment. She did so, and I instantly lifted all her clothes, having in the meantime brought out my stiff, straight cock, which I was mortally afraid would discharge its contents before it was properly positioned. Now sit down, dear. She obeyed me, and as she did so, I opened with the thumb and finger of my left hand the delicate sprouting lips. Her arse did the rest, and I went in with a rush that made my very marrow twitter with pleasure. Oh, God, burst from Eva's lips. This is heavenly. The old man turned uneasily on the couch. The back of the armchair was turned to him, so that all he could see was the top of Eva's head. Is that you, Eva? said the general. Yes, dear, replied his wife. What are you doing, my love? Still embroidering your new smoking cap, dear. Where's Clinton? He's gone out for a smoke, said the trembling girl. All right, call me in half an hour. And in less than three minutes, the dear old soldier was once more in the land of Nod. But during the three minutes, we seemed to have lived an age. I would have gladly got out of her and sneaked away, for I could not help thinking of the revolvers, but she had never tasted the exquisite bliss a young man's prick can convey, and was to use a servant gallism rampageous for it. She had never had a fuck before in such a position, but women are quick to learn a lesson when sperm is to be the prize, and in less than a minute she had wriggled out of me more genital juice than had ever rushed up my seminal ducts before. <laughs> motherfucker. I'll tell you the many reasons why I'm laughing. Number one, but women are quick to learn a lesson when sperm is to be the prize. Listen, motherfucker, you're making assumptions. I'm not going to even get into it. I'm not going to even get into it. I can't. I can't. <laughs> Number two, how many times did she tell you no, yet you continued? I have issues. But judging from the rest of this Victorian erotic novel, you're clearly a motherfucker for numerous and countless reasons. And like I said, I'm going to add the link so that you can read the rest of Randiana and see why he is 
basically a rapist. He's a motherfucker. He doesn't give two shits about people. He only cares about his pleasure and taking out his prick and doing God knows what. I'm not gonna even. I can't. I'm rattled. Today I'm rattled. You're pissing me off, Mr. Clinton. You cunt. Going back to the story. <clears throat> so she had wriggled out from him his genital juice that had ever rushed up his seminal ducks before. When she found she could draw no more, she quietly rose and walked to the window, leaving me to button up and vanish on tiptoe out of the drawing room. Goodbye and good riddance. Chapter 24. Reflections on Auld Lang Syne. Happy meetings and conclusion. Fifteen years have now elapsed since I scribbled the former part of my experiences. Times are sadly altered with my best friend now, and I am rapidly approaching the time when all may prove vanity and vexation of spirit. For although I still carry a most formidable outward and visible sign, the inward and spiritual grace so necessary to please the ladies is now almost dormant in my fucked-out nature. Years ago, I remember how I looked with something like contempt upon the art and science of flagellation, as delated upon by Monsignor Peter. Now I am quite converted to his theory. A most fortunate rencontre has been the means of this conversion. Lately sauntering down Regent Street, thinking of the times when I used to do three or four pretty demi-mondes in a day, Ah, Gertie, do you know him too? In an ever-to-be-remembered voice, caused me suddenly to turn and confront the speaker, who proved to be none other than Ayres Levison, looking almost as lovely as ever, and incomprehensively in the company of my old flame Gertie of the temple. This was a delightful renewal of old acquaintanceships, and a very few explanations let me thoroughly into the situation. Levison had been dead several years, leaving his wife sole guardian of their son, my son, she assured me in a loving whisper. He is now eighteen. Never can I forget the night you made him for me. Gertie had been persuaded by Ayres Levison to give up her dressmaking business and live with her as a kind of companion housekeeper, the former's sapphic tastes having attached her to the voluptuous Ayres, who discovered it from Jerry's remarks on the women of the day in Paris, who prefer their own sex as lovers and care very little for the attentions of men. My son is abroad with his tutor. Will you, Mr. Clinton, come home to dinner and spend the evening at our quiet little townhouse? James is such a rake, just like his father. I don't mean Mr. Levison, poor dear. He was rather too good and never made a baby for me or anyone else. Gertie knows all about it, but your name was never mentioned, and now I suppose you are the temple student who seduced her with finery and took advantage of her young inexperience, although she never mentioned you. Really, this is most charming, but my dear ladies, I can only accept if you promise we shall be a happy family, free from jealousy. Make yourself easy, dear Mr. Clinton. As to that, everything is common between us in thought, word, and deed. In feet, with our dearest friend, Lady Twizzer, we are three loving communists, each one's secret as sacred as if our own. Lady Fanny Twizzer, who was separated from her husband, because he couldn't believe his dildo was the father of her boy, I exclaimed. Good God, Mr. Clinton, there you are again. You must be a universal father. Now I'm sure it's you who did that service for dear Fanny, and will wire to her at once to come and join our dinner party. 
Highly elated, they conducted me to their carriage, which was waiting outside Lewis and Allenby's, and we soon reached Mrs. Leviston's house in Cromwell Road, South Kensington. Gertie showed me to a room to prepare for dinner, and it was arranged we should have a real love seance after the servants had gone to bed. At dinner, I saw Lady Fanny, who met me with the most fervent embrace, assuring me, with tears in her eyes, that I was the source of the only happiness she had had in her life, her son now at Oxford. All through dinner, and long after while we sat on over-dessert talking of old times, I felt as proud as a barn-door cock with three favorite hens, all glowing with love and anxious for his attentions. The ardent glances of lovely Mrs. Levison told too plainly the force of her luscious recollections, while Lady Fanny, who sat by my side every now and then, caressed my prick under the table, eliciting a slight throbbing in response to her touches. At length, coffee was brought in, and the servants told to go to bed. At last, sighed our hostess, springing up and throwing her arms around my neck, I have a chance to kiss the father of my boy. What terrible restraint I have had to use before the servants. Dear James, you belong to us all. We all want the consolation of that grand practitioner of yours. Have which of us you please first. There's no jealousy. But darling loves, how can I do you all? I'm not the man I was some years ago. Mm, mm, mm. Trust in Jerry's science, for she led us into the Panera Balsam secret, and we have a little of it in the house for occasions when it might be wanted. It's very curious how you ruin the morals of both Fanny and myself. To such paragons of virtue, as it were, we could never forget the lessons of love you taught us. And now we are both widows, with dear Gertie here. We do enjoy ourselves on the quiet. And now, how is the dear Jewel? You surely don't require the balsam to start with, she said, taking out my staff of life and kissing it rapturously. Lady Fanny did the same and was followed by Gertie, whose ravishing manner of gamahatching me recalled so vividly my first seduction of her in the temple. She would have racked me off, but I restrained myself and requested them to peel to the buff, setting them the example, my cock never for a moment losing his fine erection. Having placed an eider-down quilt and some pillows on the hearthrug, they ranged themselves in front of me in all their naked glories, like the goddesses before Paris, disputing for the apple. "'Catch which you can!' they exclaimed, laughing, and began capering around me. I dashed towards Ayres Levison, but tumbled over one of the pillows, getting my bottom most unmercifully slapped before I could recover myself. My blood tingled from head to foot. I was made to be into one of those luscious loving women, and in a moment or two caught and pulled down Fanny on top of me, the other two at once settled her a la St. George and held my prick till she was fairly impaled on it. They then stretched themselves at full length on either side, kissing me ardently, while their busy fingers played with prick and balls, and the darling Fanny got quickly into her stride and rode me with the same fire and dash which characterized her first performance on her brother's bed in the temple. My hands were well employed, frigging the creamy cunts of Mrs. Levison and Gertie. What a fuck! How my prick swelled in his agony of delight as I shot the hot, boiling sperm right up to Fanny's heart 
and she deluged me in return with the essence of her life as she fell forward with a scream of delight. Her tightly nipping cunt held me enraptured by its loving contractions. But at the suggestion of Gertie, she gently rolled herself aside and allowed me to mount the darling Levison before I lost my stiffness. What a deep-drawn sigh of delight my fresh fuckstress gave as she heaved up her buttocks and felt my charger rush up to the very extremes of her burning sheath. Ooh, damn, it's getting hot. <laughs> Let me have the very uttermost bit of it. Keep him up to his work, Gertie, darling, she exclaimed excitedly. Then gluing her lips to mine, she seemed as if she would suck my very life away. A smart tingling swish swish on my rump now aroused me to the fact that both Fanny and Gertie had taken in hand the flagellation and, gradually putting more force in their cuts, they raised such a storm of lustful heat that I fucked dear Mrs. Levison till we both lost consciousness for a time in an ecstatic agony of bliss, and when we recovered ourselves, declared that no such exquisite sensations had ever before so completely overwhelmed either of us. <laughs> wait, <laughs> wait, what? Oh my. They raised such a storm of lustful heat that I fucked dear Mrs. Levison till we both lost consciousness for a time in an ecstatic agony of bliss. And when we recovered ourselves, declared that no such exquisite sensations had ever before so completely overwhelmed either of us. I don't know about any of you, but I want to experience that. <laughs> such was the power of the rod to invigorate me that Gertie soon had her cunt as well stuffed as the others had been by my grand prick, which seemed to be bigger and stiffer than ever. This loving seance was kept up into the small hours of the morning before I could think of tearing myself from their seductive delights. But I now often join this community of love in the Cromwell Road, and no pen can by any possibility adequately describe the delights we manage to enjoy under the influence of the birch. Oh my. The End We have come to the end of the excitable tales, and I hope you enjoyed this lewd and obscene tale. As I previously mentioned, some Victorian pornographic literature is not made for everyone, as there are triggering themes throughout. Please keep this in mind if you decide to read Excitable Tales in its entirety, as there is mention of incest, rape, flagellation, and other sexually explicit content throughout the book. With all that being said, I hope you have a safe weekend and you will hear again from me next week with more drunk and smutty episodes. I'm Carissa Vickis. And this was Beauty Unlocked's drunk and smutty Christmas episodes. <laughs>